everyone. Welcome to episode 137 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, uh, with a special focus on online Magic the <laughs> Gathering tournaments now. Yeah, who knows? Man, episode 137, the, the number keeps on like slowly getting too big for, well, <laughs> like, for my recollection. That's that's what numbers do when yeah. you add one each time. Well, that's fair. And hopefully we can make it through this time period of disaster as well. Well, I mean, there's no reason that the podcast has to go under. The, uh, you yeah. know, the overhead on the podcast is minimal and... Two dudes in their home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> talking about magic. Right. They're like they, The economy can't stop us if it wanted to. Yeah, so, fair. You know, unless one of us had to like go work in coal mines or something like that, then that could complicate it. Hopefully, we can avoid that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways, anyways, um, yeah. So we have to adjust. I'm Chris Casterapple. With me, Colin Smolin. Hey, what's up, Chris? We have to figure out how to look at Magic the Gathering tournaments, how to play in Magic the Gathering tournaments and how to watch metagames evolve without our normal tournaments that we kind of have fallen into a comfort level of looking at GP results, looking at open results, looking at classics, and and all of the metagame development that comes from those things. Luckily enough, things are evolving pretty quickly, and there have been a couple of tournament series that have popped up online the you know one of the big ones obviously was magic fest online was announced how they're going to be doing like four qualifiers a day like every six hours they're firing a qualifier yeah no matter what time right or seven yeah and that's going to qualify for weekly championships that's essentially going to be an online gp it is what it feels like right i think there's like twenty five thousand dollars in prizes for the weekly one and then those have is there anything above that, or is it just that those are kind of the GPs and they qualify for Players Tour events? I think that the GPs do qualify for Players Tour events. Yeah. And it's just a big cash tournament. Okay. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just like an online GP from, from my understanding. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Also, we ran our own tournament last weekend. We did. The first one. Yeah. That's that's one of our main topics. Yeah. So we will like go into that and look at it from a couple of different perspectives. Hopefully, some of y'all tuned in, and uh, looks like we're planning on doing one this coming weekend as well. I'm so, very excited. Yeah. Hopefully, mm-hmm. people will tune into that as well. Before we get too into it, we want to thank our newest patron, Morgan B. Thank you for signing up. Uh, if you would like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or to our website, mtggrindcast.com. we got links to the Patreon and everything over there. And uh, come join the Discord. And I will send t-shirts out. The stuff that is not drop shipped is a little bit harder to do right now because I don't want to pack things up and take them to the post office at the moment so reasonable the the hats and t-shirts we will definitely get sent out the rest of the stuff maybe on a slightly slower timeline but i will work on getting everything packed up and ready to go once we can head out to the post office and the discord obviously can't catch coronavirus through uh being on discord so <laughs> yes yeah. You have a keeper mall for us today, I right? I do have a keeper mall for us. Cool. So this keeper mall came from our Patreon championship tournament that mm-hmm. I hosted last weekend. It was on camera as well, and you were commentating, so you might recognize it. I do. So this was Zan's hand. Zan is playing Teamer Flash. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this mix between a Flash deck and a Reclamation deck. It's got 
it's got reclamations, but in, instead of doing a lot of the normal reclamation stuff, it's running main deck, uh, night pack ambushers and, uh, um, Mystic Snake. Oh, well, now that you said that, I'm never going to remember <laughs> what it's called. Also, it was Mystic Snake. <laughs> what have I done? Oh, geez. Uh, Frilled Mystic. Frilled Mystic, of course. Yeah, so he's playing against Mono Red. Um, so not, the, like, probably one of the worst matchups. Uh, you don't really, it's not good to play a flash deck against Mono Red generally. Mm -hmm. But we do have removal spells in our deck, which is an unusual thing for flash in... Um, the standard format so we do have a little bit of game there our hand is no which game is this this and is game three game three and xan is on the play of this game i believe he stole game one so, so he would be on so he play. has to be on the play yeah. this game yeah so his hand is stomping ground stomping ground aether gust thassa's intervention bone crusher giant and two night pack ambushers mm -hmm. so only two lands no blue sources and we're a pretty heavy blue deck um, you know, we have a Thassa's Intervention in our hand, which is a blue-blue spell. Yeah. Not a spell that you're going to be casting early anyways in this matchup. It's a pretty bad spell that you're kind of begrudgingly keep in because mm -hmm. you have a lot of other bad things to cut. <laughs> but, but yeah, so you're on the play with this kind of sketchy, no blue source, double stomping ground hand. Mm -hmm. You do have a Bone Crusher Giant. That's like the one castable spell <laughs> that we have in our hand. And it's a really key uh, card. Yeah, and right, that's what I was going to say is that it's like the best card in the matchup. Mm -hmm. It's like if you can curve Stomp into Bonecrusher Giant on the play, you're, that's like your best opening that mm -hmm. you could hope for in this matchup. And you have two Nightpack Ambushers, which is also one of the better cards in the matchup. You're, because You're way more interested in closing out the game with this one four mana mm -hmm. spell that can create blockers yeah. than doing stuff with Wilderness Reclamation or right. Expansion Explosion or anything like that. And the modern red decks don't really have a lot of removal mm -hmm. at all, really. So the play pattern of being able to ambush something with the 4-4 happens actually quite frequently. Mm -hmm. It's not the best in the face of a potential Embercleave, um, so right. you kind of have to pick your spot appropriately. But... It does happen where your opponent like attacks with one creature on turn four, and then you can just eat it. And that's one of the reasons why the red decks have so little removal in them is because Embercleave kind of negates the need for removing a lot of the creatures you otherwise would want to kill. Right. Um, blockers stop mattering at some point in the game. <laughs> yeah, especially with something like Annex when you have like a eleven something power. Even creature. just Annex plus Embercleave is a five power double strike yeah. trample. With right. Nothing else in play. Yeah. So pretty scary. Yeah. So, but yeah. So you were commentating this match. I was downstairs on the couch with Lee. Yes. And Lee and I were talking about it, and Lee was like, "Would you keep this hand?" And I was like, "No." But Zan's gonna keep. It. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and and the upside is there, right? So yeah. it's got the Bone Crusher Giant, which is the card you want in your opening hand. Mm -hmm. If Xan draws a blue source, then that Ether Gust insulates you against the Ember Cleave turn, yeah. which is a good backup for Nightpack Ambusher or blocking with Bone Crusher Giant or whatever is going on there. The cards are there. The mana simply is not. Yeah, right. So I think I, like, in the moment, would have mulliganed. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember myself looking at this hand and saying, oh, I would mulligan this hand. But Zan kept. Mm -hmm. And I think in hindsight, Zan is correct to do so. Yeah. You just need one land to start, like, really doing it. Mm -hmm. And then if you do end up drawing your second on time, or even, like, 
like potentially drawing like a removal spell into a land mm -hmm. uh, i think both like either of those scenarios would make this a pretty strong key mm -hmm. because if you can if you can have a removal spell and to play your bone crusher giant trade it off and then start resolving night pack ambushers that's like the exact play pattern that you want in this kind of pad matchup mm -hmm. to to be able to steal it so yeah i i do think it's worth the risk okay in this scenario yeah and and classic like kind of bad matchup mm -hmm. you have a hand with some of the pieces for the game plan that you have worked out works in this matchup yep if you mulligan you know we don't have this is not a four yep. bone crusher giant deck we don't have huge odds of getting that bone crusher giant back with better mana and also ways to close out the game so yeah and we you know and we have plenty of clunkers mm -hmm. still in our deck there are a couple of frilled mystics in our deck there's a bunch of thos's interventions one of which is already clogging up our hand yep it's i think it's just too likely that you mulligan into a hand of lance's spells but it's just like the wrong spells mm -hmm. so at least we have the right spells here yeah yeah, so you just can't be you just can't be scared to keep these hands that are missing something when they have an important piece of the puzzle, especially when that particular piece, the Bone Crusher Giant plus removal plus the the end game plan, that's a combination that isn't going to show up in a lot of your hands. Mm -hmm. So the only piece we're missing is honestly like a land making blue mana, which we yeah. want in the first couple of cards in our deck. So right. yeah, and we run a lot of lands in this deck. We were running 27 at the time. Mm -hmm. We went up to 28 after this tournament. Mm. So we got um, some hits. <laughs> Zan had taken one land out on the draw in this matchup, oh, which really? I think is totally okay. reasonable yeah, to do. Sense. But then he put it back in post-board after yeah. not hitting his lands. Oh, sure, but, sure. You know, right. that's... And, and you're on the play. Right. It makes sense. Well, on the play, it certainly makes sense. And, and that is one thing that we've probably talked about before, is that if you take a land out of your deck, you still have a higher chance of hitting your third and fourth land drops on the draw yeah. than with plus one land on the play right. so um taking out a land on the draw is a pretty Fine reasonable thing to, thing to do yeah for sure yeah the difference between play and draw is actually something that uh i think is really undersold generally in magic mm -hmm. i've heard that like a lot of like good teams actually view matchups play and draw as like completely different matchups and have mm. like completely different board plans think and think that they play out completely differently yeah. based on like whether or not something you're on the play or the draw so yeah definitely something that i could probably in my game use a little more instead of just resubmitting for game three just like really thinking about the implications about what the differences are and that's the play draw difference really comes up uh in particular in matchups where you both have creatures and removal spells mm -hmm. so i think mono red in the mirror often has very different play and draw plans um ember cleave is a lot better on the play removal spells are better on the draw uh you can change your balance up that way the classic scenario of this for me was the teamer energy mirror mm -hmm. where you would i would keep in all of my servants of the conduit on the play because they allow you to get the snowball advantage, but I would not have them in on the draw. Because if your opponent plays a two drop and then you play a two drop, yeah. if your two drops are both servant of the conduit, like <laughs> you're just gonna lose that game. Right, of course. Because then they get to play their Chandra or even the bristling hydra is, is gonna put you behind. If you so so what you want in that spot is the removal spell for their two drop instead of letting them get first crack at using their two drop to do something. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So why don't we talk about how this weekend went? I want to yeah. like focus in it. on that tournament. We kind of had opposite perspectives right. of the event. 
I was playing in the event pretty much primarily, and you were commentating it. Mm-hmm. The tournament was held on MTG Melee, yep. the website, and that's what hosted it and everything. And from my perspective, uh, everything on MTG Melee went really, really smoothly. Cool. The player's perspective was super easy, user interface, very... It, it, everything happened for you, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, the like all you needed to do was have the web page open, and it would update automatically. Sure. It would, like, give an audible announcement when the next round's pairings were up. It just, like, had buttons that you would click to, like, report your games as they happened and stuff. I honestly had an amazing experience with it. Cool. Great. Um, went really smoothly. Uh, it, you know, just, like, gives you your opponent's uh, user ID that you can just copy-paste into Arena. Everything went really, really great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we played the tournament with open deck lists. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that the deck list would just sort of pop up. You didn't have to do anything to yes. get yeah, that yeah. to happen. Cool. Right. Yeah. I, I think... Right now, it is pretty clear that they have developed it and and developed the player side of it to a place that they're pretty comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, from the tournament administration side, uh, it certainly worked. Like we were able to get it to work and run, run the tournament, and everything went smoothly. Evan originally was going to play in the tournament, but then it turned out that he needed to take more of a sort of <laughs> tournament administrator role. It was good that Evan was able to step out and take that role for sure. Yeah. People had questions. Yep. And so. and he was answering questions. There, there was like an in-client chat mm-hmm. and he was answering questions pretty much for at least the first <laughs> f- four or five rounds just constantly yeah, yeah, yeah. on that. Uh, people, you know, what do I do if my opponent doesn't show up? I think yep. was the most common question. Right. And... Uh, because, you know, we're not playing in a tournament hall, so mm-hmm. sometimes people get yeah. distracted or forget <laughs> that they're playing a Magic yeah. tournament or, or just miss the time. How was the feeling of playing an arena tournament? I, I, I have yeah. this concern that you feel a little bit disconnected from the whole thing when you're not playing a tournament in a well, tournament hall. So it was interesting for me because I was able to get into my regular tournament zone mm-hmm. and it i did like feel like the the pressures of a normal tournament where i was like this match and i this is like a distinction that i like want to like look more into for myself personally mm-hmm. and i think that these online tournaments are going to allow me to do that a little easier which is i feel like i play significantly better when i'm playing in a tournament hmm. than when i'm playing my practice matches okay just it something about it matters more to me and i'm able like when i'm just practicing i'm able I, there's like this small element of disconnect where i'm like sure. i'm making these plays you know let's, i'll explore it a little bit let's see how it works we'll out see how it works out but, yeah. but kind of whatever you know mm-hmm. but this tournament like mattered to me okay so i like really zoned in and i like got into the zone that i normally get into but there's this other weird element where I was like more easily distracted uh-huh. because in in a tournament hall, there's just like constant noise that I've like learned how to like tune out or whatever. But here when I'm playing at home, I'm like super zoned in and then like somebody would come downstairs mm. and it would like distract me for a little bit. And there was one moment and I felt bad about this <laughs> uh, where you were like, you know, having dinner or whatever, you're off and you like came and sat down behind me. 
and wanted to watch my match mm-hmm. and I told you to go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't feel bad. That's yeah. like, cause I, I just didn't even think about it. Like, yeah. that's just what I normally do. Like I'm eating food. Collins right. is playing magic. I'm going to yeah. go birding for a little bit, but right. you know, but I was like super zoned in and then all of a sudden you were eating behind me and I was like, <laughs> I feel bad, but this is just non-functional. Right? Yeah. I just can't do that. It's totally fine. I was yeah. not offended. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool how I was able to have that like immersive experience of like, sure, I'm at home or whatever, but this tournament really does matter to me. And I do want to dial in mm-hmm. and play the best magic I can play. Yeah. And I really feel like that was facilitated. Cool. Good. Yeah. I wonder if that experience is different for other people. You know, you're playing your tournament in a house where that's the focus of everybody mm-hmm. to on that day like yeah. even though we're all playing different roles in the tournament everything is about that tournament so i wonder if it's different if somebody's just like playing at home you know when their family is around and mm-hmm. they're nobody else is focused on the tournament and they're getting like you know asked to walk the dog or whatever <laughs> in the middle of it sure right um yeah i mean who knows like one thing I can tell though was that it was pretty clear that our finalist Alex Smith was pretty nervous during the finals. Like that, and that kind of came across in like the plays and the speed of everything. I don't think I was the only one who like felt it. No, um, and he's actually a local to us. Yeah, we all kind of know him, and it was cool to see him in the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, definitely a couple of miscues on on his end of things, but that's just tournament magic sometimes sometimes it gets to you a little bit and you you get the rush you don't quite play to the best of your abilities because something gets in the way of that Mm -hmm. and it's not like an indictment on anybody's play skill or anything like yeah for sure it just happens and 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 honestly like kind of a good sign to me watching from the booth that like it the players are feeling that this is a tournament and they're feeling that tournament pressure and you know, whereas that makes you lock in, mm-hmm. like it, it can easily lead to other players to, you know, just not quite. Yeah. People are going to have different reactions to that. Yeah. I've been playing tournament magic for many, many years now, so mm-hmm. it, it zones me in, but I, I can definitely tell how it could be yeah. disruptive for a lot of people. Yeah. Now Alex's deck was great and mm-hmm. he must've like, we didn't get to see too many of his matches, but you know, yeah. I, I'm sure he played well all day long. And then unfortunately, once we got him on camera for the finals, um, just, you know, a couple of misclicks and, and you know, uh, a little unfortunate, but a great performance overall. Yeah, so. no, for sure. I was really excited to see Alex in the finals. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Very cool. As far as a, you know, I have like a million things to say about the coverage perspective, because not only yeah. is this the first tournament that we have done, like I've never done coverage for a tournament before. Right. So it was a, a lot of new experiences for me. Mm-hmm. We are set up differently of course from like star city or from magic fest coverage or from pro tour coverage Mm -hmm. we don't have the experience of doing this over and over again we don't have that particular way of doing things we don't have the assets set up with like here are the slides we're going to show with the standings and brackets and things like that it's it's this huge learning process so it was definitely pretty chaotic in here figuring (laughs) things out it's true yeah but at the same time, I think we were able to produce something pretty organic. Uh, yeah. I, I think people watching could see that like we were really kind of putting our hearts mm-hmm. into it. The, the the energy and the atmosphere in the house was incredible. Yeah. And, you know, and I could really tell that that came through in some way, 
in in the coverage of the event. Yeah, because you know we were all super invested. We were all really enjoying what we were doing, mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, uh, we sort of picked the GP Reed Duke model for this first one. We watched Zan make his way through the tournament and then tuned into other games when his matches were finished, uh, both because we kind of wanted to experiment with that sort of narrative and also because it just made the technical limitations of the whole thing. It was one fewer thing to worry about because we knew how to get Zan's game onto the stream yeah. and, and watch the whole thing without having to you know give somebody instructions each round on how to stream to us. Uh, so... Fortunately, Zan came up with a pretty cool deck and <laughs> yeah. did very well, top aided the tournament. Yeah, so. I played the same deck. It was great. Mm -hmm. uh, we will talk about that deck yep. after we've sort of talked about the tournament as a whole. The experience of commentating, uh, I think that we got very lucky to just have a group of people who are friends and yep. are knowledgeable and kind of just, you know, I've had a lot of practice talking about <laughs> magic yeah. and... Yeah. So uh, being able to adapt that in commentary is certainly different, but I think getting up there with Lee and Wit and we were able to put together something pretty good and, and mostly have just a lot of fun yeah. doing it. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, we have, you know, I have a whole list of improvements that I want to make over time mm -hmm. to the stream. I, I have graphics that I want to improve and implement. I have slides that I want to have available to put up. I want to improve the audio and the video uh, and uh, make our transition smoother and that sort of thing. Um, one thing that I'm not sure if we want to do is, you know, I was controlling the stream while doing commentary. Yeah. And that's not how most tournaments do it obviously they have like a producer playing that role so mm -hmm. that people on camera can just do that job but i kind of liked having the control yeah i you know you see those moments on star city coverage where they like mention a card and then they're like can we so can we get that card up and then they just like wait like 15 seconds or so and they're like nope i guess not and then they just yeah. have to move on <laughs> and it's kind of nice to just be like i want to put this thing on there let's do that i want right. to switch to this and and I mean, maybe it's just because I'm because of you a desire for me to be in control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it also, you know, I, I kind of like that organic feel to it where it's a little higher energy, a little like, I want to show you guys this. Here is this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so. no, for sure. I Yeah, I think that if you can, and I'm sure that you will, like just like get into the rhythm of that and be able to do things quickly and um i know we were talking about getting like a um a stream deck a, yeah whatever like the soundboard thing is yeah yeah so um, so a stream deck is like a hardware piece that lets you do various okay. commands to your right. stream with with one button you just so I, yeah i have no doubt that you'll master that in in short order so i'm excited we had the stream on on the tv downstairs and mm -hmm. y'all did a phenomenal job the commentary was excellent thank you you know all three of y'all were just you know like energetic entertaining and uh you knew what you were talking about and it's hard to get both of those things in one package it was really cool to see yeah I, I mean i think that's mostly the biggest thing that we have to bring to the table with this with the coverage side of this tournament series mm -hmm. is that we just have a good group of people who are friends and who care about magic and pay attention to it so yeah uh, and and genuinely enjoy the experience of hanging out and talking to each other about it a lot of the conversations that i was having with wit and lee on camera were just like 
conversations we would have had yeah. normally. So Right, and it did kind of feel like one of our living room chats in mm-hmm. some ways where like like it's it's not that unusual to me for to like hear y'all talking like this because that's just how that we talk about magic right. just all the time in this house yeah. whatever but being able to bring that to an audience and bring our like you know couch commentary <laughs> that we've been doing for a while yeah, yeah of course <laughs> to to an audience is is really great so yeah um uh, we are going to you know we had people playing in the tournament in the house me, Zen, and Jeremy mainly. Yeah. Evan was going to, but turned out that he had a role to play. I think over time it's going to turn out that all of you guys have roles to play that for sure mostly prevent you. Um, yeah. I think that we're going to try to pull you into the commentary side I of things. I would love that. Okay. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Like, especially after watching y'all do it, I've been itching to definitely uh, give it a shot. So, yeah. When I came down, uh, I watched the semifinals because I was sitting out for that one. <laughs> yeah. And just watching the games play out, I, I, I told Collins this, but I was watching it and laying in the couch and it was that feeling like when you've been riding roller coasters all day or you've been on a boat and then you go sit down and you're like whoa it's like i'm still moving and it was just like my like brain wanted to like engage my mouth into doing commentary <laughs> while watching it because i was just so in the habit at that point yeah yeah so really fun and hopefully we can just keep doing this yeah um, um for sure i so we are planning on running another tournament on sunday do yes. we have more details on that? We It's not all set in stone okay. yet. Uh, we're still talking with sponsors f- about things like prizes and, okay. you know, s- sponsorship on stream and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it is not totally set, like, how you enter this tournament or what the prizes are going to be yet. Sure. Uh, the, the way the tournament worked this past weekend was it was just open to any patrons of lotus box or this podcast Mm -hmm. the tournament this coming weekend may be the same thing sure just because it is a little difficult to adapt to something else that quickly Um, at some point soon we want to be doing open tournaments ideally Mm -hmm. with entry fees however that's a little messy in in some ways and we want to make sure that everything is above the table and logistics to work out yeah sure um one of the things so there's a couple of different i I want to talk a little bit about the opportunities of to play magic these days yeah since you can't do it the way you're used to Um, and we mentioned a couple of them at the beginning we mentioned the the online magic fests um, and we're looking at how some of the other tournaments are running them looking for inspiration and i think we're all figuring this sort of stuff out at the same time Mm -hmm. um pascal's tournament series group uh the mythic society um i know that they're doing a thing where if you sub on twitch then you get uh if if you're sub to the channel then you get entry to certain of their tournaments and that's that's an interesting way of doing it that you know the side benefit of that is that they get a large subscriber count and that helps their stream to, you know, become pushed more or whatever. Yeah. So we've got lots of business things to talk about on this side, but (laughs) we'll we'll figure things out and we're going to try to bring tournaments as often as possible. Yeah, definitely. We're also going to have to branch out from standard. True. Yeah. I mean, you know, arena is great and definitely one of the easier way to do things, Um, but uh, it can't be standard all the time. Right, and I don't know if that means we have to have Magic Online tournaments, which, you know, is possible, or if that means, like, we may 
create the tournament series that his people play historic on like <laughs> nice <laughs> the reason that historic is not a thing and the reason that it, like bugs me is because they created it and then gave no support to it whatsoever yeah we can make that support if we wanted we can make that support yeah and i don't know historic could be cool it might be a great format who knows uh, yeah who knows the, nobody does uh, i think like ali antrazi knows. okay that's true yeah and wyatt knows he's yeah. been streaming a lot of we'll have to ask them okay. about it yeah yeah <laughs> Um, so, and because arena is so much more watchable, mm -hmm. like, I think that's pushing us to have tournaments of these formats that yeah. are not necessarily your normal, like SEG open formats. Right. So, yeah. Um, maybe, but, you know, I am, you know, I, I know magic online is worse, mm -hmm. but it, it's always going to be near and dear to my heart. Oh, so I am down to play some magic online tournaments. Yep our broadcast in a similar fashion yeah and i'm, I'm sure we'll have some mm -hmm. but you know if we look at the the number of players and we look at the views and it turns out to not be a thing then like yeah like then it, historic it is historic <laughs> it is and we'll see if that's a thing maybe right. a maybe a brawl tournament or two yeah. yeah but you know so we're still like really early on in this whole thing yeah. so a lot of things to figure out yeah one of the cool things that I'm really looking forward to is working with MTG Melee to be able to get sort of uh, tournament data in real time mm -hmm. and be able to process that quickly. Yep. Uh, we have a couple of people, Evan and uh, our friend Jay, are both very good at taking in that sort of data and outputting useful analytics. Mm -hmm. And what Melee does is it attaches players to their deck lists. And yeah. we hopefully will be able to at some point just pull win percentage data and matchup percentage data like kind of live each round of the tournament. And yeah, I mean, see, that would be sick. See performances. So Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, as we are moving these tournaments to an online platform, the data that we're going to be able to pull from it is going to be radically different mm -hmm. than the data that we would have normally been able to. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. I and I, I think that'll be huge for coverage. You know, like we gotta prepare some slides in advance to get ready for like here's your here's the win percentages of these decks. Here's how this matchup seems to be playing out. And I'm I'm really excited to be able to just show that. Like after round five of the tournament, be like, you know, we thought Mono Red was going to be good, but looks look how it's getting beat up. It's mm -hmm. not just that there isn't any at the top tables. Like right. it's losing this matchup really badly. Sure, like that's yeah that's exciting having that data live is going to be revolutionary yeah it'll be great yeah so sure. that's that is one of my priorities to get that worked out mm -hmm. as we you know get this tournament series going and we are trying to make it into a tournament series yes. at some point is, is, yeah. is really the goal with uh ongoing uh points or whatever that mm -hmm. build towards something <laughs> stay tuned stay tuned <laughs> right yeah i mean we're learning so yeah yeah um but i honestly just overall very excited yeah 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 to play in these tournaments and also you know the magic fest stuff i, I played in one yeah, of the tell me about that yesterday the biggest takeaway for me was the user experience on mtg melee miles better okay. than the user experience on the magic fest things because mm -hmm. the magic fest thing is all done through discord mm-hmm but it's kind of this awkward combination of it's on Discord, um, and that's where you go to like hear about when the rounds are starting. Mm -hmm. But if you're not like 
like discord forum savvy you can actually like miss that um and it's like really awkward to tell when the round starts and when the round ends because it they just like do it in posts in mm. this massive discord with like everyone in the tournament just kind of like chatting in it which is a kind of a nightmare oh so they don't have a channel just for round announcements or they do not okay so that's that would be like a simple thing that they could do um and then you have to go to this other channel to report your matches and then you have to report it with commands mm -hmm. and that's all sorts of messy because people just aren't familiar with sure. using commands on the computer yeah you know we're like it's just not user friendly mm -hmm. Um, yeah, people want to click a button because that's how user interfaces yeah. have been for the past 20 years. So Right. Um, I will say, though, that like all things like the, the setup wasn't ideal. And after being very, very impressed with MTT Melee, it was kind of like this like shocking like, oh, I like there's this eight page like how to document that I have to read before playing this tournament. That's kind of awkward. But I will say that the, the the moderators on the channel Fireball Discard did a really excellent job um, answering all the questions, keeping everybody in the loop, mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. Pretty impressive so, that they were able to put all this together so quickly. Yeah, um, yeah, really short notice, and that I think is kind of why everything was a little kind of slapped together. There was the website where you would go to to search your pairings, and it was kind of similar to like a paper tournament where you'd have to like scroll down and find your name and then see who your opponent was and then copy that into the file. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but it was also open deck list. So there was another page that you could go to where you could just, you know, search for your opponent's name, mm -hmm. not in any search function, but with like control, control F. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you like you could figure it out and like by round three, I knew exactly what I was doing and was able to do it all. But but um, it's a little bit hacked together. It, it was hacked together. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that they're going to be improving on things, but definitely just like my tournament experience was not as clean as the MTG Melee tournament yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, but both I, my tournaments pr went pretty well in terms of, like, yeah. we haven't talked to any about Magic Yeah, yet. no. I, I, that, <laughs> and that was, that was intentional. We wanted yeah. to talk about this stuff first. And then, yeah, I, I definitely want to talk about mm -hmm. the tournaments themselves. And in particular, the deck that Zan came up with the night before the tournament. Yeah. So is it time yeah yeah okay i think i think that <clears throat> that is plenty i mean is there anything else that we want to talk about the, like the tournaments that exist right now that i can see are ours which we're developing and figuring out mm -hmm. um that pascal's mythic society things which are also mostly like run through twitch and discord kind of interesting i don't know that much about those and then there's the magic fest ones which have a pretty specific framework yeah. and uh, they have their their like twenty four seven coverage with like rotating commentators and stuff like that, which has yeah. been kind of interesting and fun to watch. Yeah. Um, one thing that kind of sucks right now is the way that it's upset the ecosystem of getting lists and understanding metagames. True. We're definitely like moving into a world where it's just kind of a constant slurry of lists rather than larger events that show specific archetypes rising to the top yeah. over like 15 round tournaments yeah um but maybe these weekend magic yeah. fests will will give us that i think they will and i think that right now we're in this like kind of dark period where we don't really like have a lot of access to the list and stuff mm -hmm. but i think that's going to 
dramatically change over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I think that once people get a feel for things and figure things out, we're going to get inundated with more data that we've had mm -hmm. in the past with paper tournaments. Like if there's going to if this push towards online continues, I think the data is just going to explode to a level that Wasi's probably not going to be comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, honest. that's the that's the goal yeah. with ours right. is is we want to get told yeah. by wizards like stop sharing all this data. Right. Yeah. 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 So that would be cool because because right now and like right now we're existing in this thing where you really really have to be playing a lot of magic on ladder mm -hmm. on magic online to have that understanding of what the metagame looks like yeah um because you do kind of get that just through playing a lot it's like oh i played against a bunch of bant decks or whatever like People i guess must Bant's be into bant yeah. yeah um but yeah there's no like goldfish like top eight lists or whatever that we can look at right now sure. um but hopefully we can i think i do have a really really good understanding of standard right now so hopefully I can share what's going on, what's good, what's bad. I mean, let's let's do that. Yeah. So I guess we should start with Zan's deck yeah. that you played, and then you did well in in the Magic Fest qualifier as well. Yeah. So tell me so about Zan, this one. Right. So Zan, the story behind this deck goes. <laughs> uh, Zan was playing. We we kind of had a feeling that Flash in general was in a decent spot right now in the metagame. Um, everybody was playing these like kind of big clunky mid-rangey decks mm -hmm. and like aggro was on the low and we just kind of wanted to play this game that interacted from a different axis mm -hmm. um so zan was playing flash a little bit and then he played against a team wreck opponent who uh game one was normal team wreck but then post board boarded into a bunch of frilled mystics and night pack ambushers mm -hmm. and zan was like Wow, that postboard configuration of this deck is just what I want my deck to be. It's just so much better. Yeah. So we built that deck, and it's just so in the main deck is the 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 meat and bones of a team of rec deck. So you've got your uh, growth spirals, which is really the card that pulls all of these decks together. Right. Um, growth spiral, uh, reclamation, uh, expansion, explosion, mm -hmm. and that's kind of your like go over the top of stuff. Yep. But then he's also running. Four Night Pack Ambushers, four Frilled Mystics, um, three Thassa's Interventions, mm -hmm. which is this really excellent counterspell draw card split card. That that works um, really well with doubling your mana with Wilderness Reclamation. Absolutely, because you can get in spots where you just like, all right, I can use this to dig and find my explosion and kill you, or I can use it like on turn three as a cancel. Mm -hmm. um, and that split element is really, really excellent. And sometimes um, you even cycle at turn three to find your fourth land. Oh, yeah. That, which is really important. Yeah, definitely an underrated play. <laughs> you need to be hitting your land drops with this deck. Yeah. Very important. Um, it also plays Uro. Uro's phenomenal. Like You can use Uro to ramp a little bit, but that element of things is really... like We're not ramping into fives mm -hmm. like a lot of other Uro decks are. We're, Uro is mostly something that I cast on like turn seven. Yeah. Uh, for like for the first time like like i would rather hold up my four mana than cast uro right right the the best uro turn is the one where you cast it and then escape it yeah like that's when you want to be uroing draw draw two cards gain six life and right yeah um yeah so the deck plays this really powerful tempo game where you're holding up mana you have a ton of counter spells in between your frilled mystics and thassa's interventions and then also you have just a, like a bunch of things to use your mana between your like your ambushers is just an insane threat right now mm -hmm. and um then you can draw cards with spectral your, sailors your spectral sailors and then your thoughts interventions yeah. like if your opponent doesn't do anything you can just like 
dig. Yeah. <laughs> and that's great. And Spectral Sailor with Wilderness Reclamation out is pretty impressive. It's, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I've been really impressed with Spectral Sailor just like as a mana sink. Like, you know, you're just always looking for something to uh, spend your mana on with, mm-hmm. you know, when you're untapping your lands over and over again. So just a Spectral Sailor plus a Wilderness Reclamation is just a win in my mind mm-hmm. if you like as long as you can manage what's going on so. right that's one of the game state setups mm-hmm. that you're like aiming for specifically right. like, yeah draw a bunch of cards yeah yeah you can go over the top of any of these mid-range decks mm-hmm. um which is really nice brazen borrower really helps with that like cleans up like a little yeah. bit of a mess that that slipped through and then yeah. you just have counter spells and yeah definitely yeah, so the deck was very impressive. Watched Zan do really well in the tournament with it. We had an unfortunate match that Zan won by one life, mm. and his opponent like had some connection issues, and so a Mayhem Devil ping was the target was chosen at random and Awkward. chose its controller instead <laughs> of Zan. Ping and myself. Zan won that game at one light, or Zan ended up at one at one point in that game and okay. then climbed back in with Uros. Sure. So, you know, that that moment was a little bit unfortunate and one of the risks of online tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, you know, Zan... Yeah, there were a couple glitches that happened to Zan. <laughs> yeah, there was a wild one. <laughs> against me? Against against Collins. If, and I'm glad it was against you uh, and not I, against... Right. Like, had I not known what was going on, I definitely would have conceded. No. Spot. Right. There was a stack, basically. Uh, Collins, you, you cast a Nightpack Ambusher. Mm-hmm. Um, Zan responded to it with a Thassa's Intervention, not to counter the, the Nightpack Ambusher, but to draw some cards while you were tapped out, and then was trying to use an expansion to copy the Thassa's Intervention. Yeah. But something with Arena like bugged out with the X spell. It was only for X equals two, yeah. um, but something on Arena like bugged out with the X spell targeted by expansion. And it just sort of like took Zan's expansion, untapped his two lands, left the expansion just on the stack, and then it just lived there for the rest of the game. Wild. And it left Zan's hand. It counted as part of his hand for hand size purposes, (laughs) but he couldn't use it for anything. Strange. Yeah. And yeah. so at the end of the game, Zan was at about a minute on his clock, and he was just calling downstairs like, Collins... I'm supposed to have an explosion in my hand right now. And he has like 13 lands and a wilderness reclamation in play. And yeah, he could have like, you know, he had a million mana. He could have just exploded me out of the game. Right. So yeah. Yeah, definitely a wild ride there. So super, super weird situation. But yeah. But but yeah, so this band, I mean, sorry, this, uh, this teamer deck was really, really good. So yeah, Zan and I played in, and that was a win and in for top eight for this tournament. Mm -hmm. Zan was victorious. Uh, but I played in one of the Magic Fest qualifiers and yep. went five and zero. Oh, and you need to go five and one to qualify for the thing. So that was pretty great. Uh, uh, six and zero oh is identical, except oh yeah. Well, so there was this funny thing where uh, the moderators in the chat were like, "If you're five and zero oh and you don't want to play the last round, you can just drop." And I was like, "All right, I'll just drop." So I dropped, and then I went on Twitter, and then I saw Channel Fireball was like. Here are all the six o deck lists from the from the challenges, and I was like six o, and I went back in and I was like undrop me, I'm gonna play this last round, <laughs> and then I played against Brad Yu and he annihilated me. So <laughs> justice, and but that was he was playing Bant, right? Yeah, so he was playing Bant, and that's kind of the next deck I want to talk about. Yeah, it's kind of the big deck in the format right now. It seems like I yes, I think it is the de facto best deck right now. We had three 
copies of that in our top eight. Yes. Uh, slightly different versions, but, uh, you know, that core of Growth Spiral, Teferi, Nyssa, Hydra, Crisis, some Wraths, some Elspeth Conqueror's deaths. Yeah, it's just playing all broken mythics. Mm -hmm. And it's got a really good curve and really good ways of interacting with everything in the format. And all of your cards are insane. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that exciting, but it's the best yeah. deck. <laughs> uh, it's it specifically... I mean, I guess we didn't really give Zan's deck its due in talking about like how it has changed some of Flash's matchups. So we should probably go like circle back to sure. that. But um, Bant specifically does a thing where like blue-white control really struggles against decks like Adventures that have these low-to-the-ground card advantage engines mm. that beat everything in blue-white except for Dream Trawler. The Bant deck has faster Dream Trawlers, and also the card Nissa is something that the Adventure decks tend to have trouble with. Yeah. And so you just shore up some of the weaknesses of decks that are able to play this like low-to-the-ground grindy game, and you're just like, here are Nissas and Hydrograsises to kill you with. Yeah. So, so that's one of the reasons that the Bantech is quite good right now. It has a lot of the strengths of blue-white control and shores up some of the weaknesses of it. Yeah, for sure. As far as the teamer deck goes, like, what did we sort of shore up from regular Wilderness Reclamation or regular Flash decks? Um, so I I don't know if it's... Like, I don't. I actually didn't know that much about team of rex positioning in the metagame mm -hmm. going into this i kind of entered into standard with zan's deck sure <laughs> so i don't know if i'll be able to answer that question appropriately enough okay it feels like it's matchups against uh, it's just kind of built to be like a, a better version of that deck in this specific metagame mm -hmm. where the decks that it is really preying upon are like all of the mid-range piles right now which are like you know uh, teamer adventure like the blue white control decks are much easier. I'm sure that the your matchup against blue white control is much better because you have all these flash threats. Mm -hmm. You're just like already your ideal post board configuration for Team Erek. Yeah, you have a little. Yeah. You have a few more ways of pressuring Teferi, and right. you know even like a Spectral Sailor can be really good at making Teferi not able to just do whatever it wants to do. Yeah, and Teferi I will say is still a big problem, mm -hmm. and. You know, while we do have a few more ways of battling Teferi, we also have a few less. Like, we don't have access to Blast Zone or anything like that because sure. we're a little more intense on our mana. Mm -hmm. um, but Spectral Sailor definitely does help against um, Teferi just because if you have it out, you know, if they cast it, you can play another threat in response and then then you can kill the Teferi. But right. um, I guess, yeah, it's when you have the Sailor and the Brazen Borrower that you can you can really effectively threaten the Teferi. But yeah. Um, yeah, definitely still a problem. And definitely has resulted in a lot of main phase frilled mystics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. <laughs> uh, but you gotta do what you gotta do, you know? Yeah, of course. Your matchup against fires, I think, is significantly better. Okay. Because you have access to a lot more counter spells. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just it just feels like Team Erek 2.0. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if it's like doing anything really specific. I think that you're actually a little worse against the aggro decks because Team Erek traditionally has access to um the deal for to everything uh yeah storm's wrath yeah uh and w we're not doing that we're a lot lighter on the red but we do kind of sideboard into this really removal hell uh, removal spell heavy hand mm -hmm. heavy game plan that is essentially what the old reclamation decks were doing against the red decks which is you just need to make sure that the board is clear yeah we do it a little worse but 
you know. And you still have Uro. So. Yeah, yeah, and that is one of the bigger elements of the plan there, is that you just, you know, you interact, 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 resolve an RO, and the game ends. Yeah, and the Team of Reclamation decks really got to a point where main deck Storm's Wrath plus RO plus a couple of two-mana removal spells turned the mono-red matchup into, like, pre pretty close to even or even slightly in Team of Rec's favor, I think, because especially compared to how bad it was before the printing of Uro. Mm -hmm. Once once you sub out some of the cards that do nothing against Mono Red with Storm's Wrath Uro and a couple of removal spells, then that matchup becomes pretty fine. Yeah. So if you are approximating that in any way and backing it up with Uro, mm -hmm. then that's that's not a bad spot to yeah. be in. Yeah, and Mono Red is in this weird spot where as long as people are respecting it, it's not going to do well. Mm -hmm. But as soon as people stop respecting it, it is really going to wreak some havoc. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to tell where we're at right now. I think that people, like, at least we're going to be respecting it because we know it's out there and people are playing it. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, like, as, it, as far as it goes for it being a metagame call that you want to play, I think on average people are respecting it less and less. Sure. Um, so it's definitely this interesting element. And another another part of Modern Red's position in the metagame is really contingent on how popular fires is mm -hmm. fires became the best deck for a little bit again recently and while that was true mono red was really bad because the fires matchup just kind of crushes mono red there's not really a lot to do there to fix that matchup mm -hmm. just fundamentally you're yeah. just doing fast big things and red is bad against that but fires i think right now is has a huge target on its back I think your Bant matchup with Fires is really bad, and uh, people are just really prepared for Fires. So while I keep on seeing a lot of people playing Fires, I keep on seeing them like do well initially in the tournament, and then as soon as they play against somebody who like knows their Fires matchup, they're gonna lose. So like perhaps by putting Elspeth Conqueror's Death into their deck, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bant the Bant matchup against Fires is kind of silly. Yeah. So yeah, counter spells. Plus yeah. Elspeth Conquer's death and right. ramp is just mm -hmm. the growth spiral to let it just get ahead because Jeskai Fires can't play fires earlier than turn four and it can't play yeah. five drops before turn five. So. Right. And when your opponent's like playing Nissa on turn four, mm -hmm. then your advantage of like because fires is a mana cheat yeah. spell, and so is Nissa. But if the Nissa's coming down earlier, then you're just going to be really far behind. Yep. Yep. And the the impact of the big bodies becomes much less once you're just like, here are three threes. <laughs> Although, you know, you can run into Deafening Clarion if you're not careful. True. But for sure. But sometimes Fires has to keep in Deafening Clarion against Bant and then just plays against the hand that's like, I drew two Ether Gusts and then here's a Teferi and then here's a Dream Trawler and then you have deafening clarion in your hand and yeah. what do you do with that so uh yeah that matchup is extremely difficult uh jeskai fires was the most played deck in our tournament that we ran mm -hmm. i think it was like about 20 20 percent of the field or so yeah um and then bant in various configurations was behind it at like 17 or so and then just a bunch of the other decks at about half of that. So yeah. um, Fires and Bant were the two most heavily played decks. And when one of the decks 
is really heavily favored against the other highly played deck, you don't want to be the deck that's poorly positioned there. Yes, definitely. So, yeah. So moving forward, um, definitely still excited to play this teamer deck. Mm-hmm. I think it's still going to be pretty good. The one problem that we need to solve is the Bant matchup is not amazing. Teferi is a huge problem, mm-hmm. and we just didn't have anything for it yeah. uh, in our current configuration. But I think moving forward, we can fix that. We were talking about adding Shifting Ceratops mm-hmm. as like just something that can haste down a Teferi. Okay. And also, it can't get bounced by Teferi, so it's pretty good. Mm. I'm also considering putting some more time into playing Bant just because I got to figure out what I'm playing for the weekend championship Yeah, this weekend. And I would love to play Zan's deck, but if I'm not, I think Bant is going to be really popular and really successful this weekend. And if I'm not like that confident in that matchup, something needs to change. Yeah. So. Um, if you were to pick a deck to just target Bant with, do you know what that is yet? Or do you need to experiment with Bant some more to find out what, what it's losing to? It's tough. I th- like, I want to say Teamer Adventure would be like a good way to beat up on Bant just because it is something that like can go over the top, Mm -hmm. but you just don't really have good answers to like exactly what you're talking about where you can just like Bant is the blue white control deck that can beat Teamer Adventure because you can go Nyssa into Hydroid Crisis and then attack them twice with your a million a million right or if you're on the dream trawler plan that dream trawler Mm -hmm. can come down earlier than turn six yeah in this deck so right um so right and and i think that is why ban is so successful right now is that there's just no natural predator for it sure um so you know maybe we need to go into the tank and come up with a new strategy that beats up on bant definitely worth putting some thought into for sure but good way to do that is take bant onto the ladder and then see like when you run into something that you're like, I can't believe that that just happened to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and I probably will do that. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I'm at home. I might like I've been avoiding laddering. Yeah, a lot. It's like mentally unhealthy sometimes. Yeah, just because I think I've been like mentally going about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like I go about it like I have to hit mythic again this month. That sucks. But if I change my mentality a little bit and be like. Let's figure out what the Bant deck is bad against. Yep. Let's play a bunch of Bant matches in an open field. Right. I think that just like naturally laddering would be much better. Yeah. So. I, I think the key to playing on ladder is kind of ignoring your rank entirely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast yet. I mentioned it during coverage. Uh, I think that Wizards has a serious mistake in the timing of their ladder resets. Um, I think it's a... So I think that what happened was no other eSport has ladders that reset this quickly. Mm -hmm. Most are two months, three months, something like that. Yeah. Uh, What happened was Hearthstone during its beta started just resetting each month so that they could try new stuff. Okay. And then when they went live, everybody was so used to the monthly reset that they just kind of kept that. Sure. And... Then Arena just kind of did the same thing. Yeah. Probably because people were used to it following from the footsteps of Hearthstone, for sure. But seasons don't have to be like by month, and the month is a so arbitrary and so fast. Like it does go back quickly. I'm just barely I'm mythic like five percent of the time, honestly. <laughs> sure. Because I'll hit it and then a couple of days later, 
I will not be mythic anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just be like, well, I'm not going to ladder up from platinum again. I just did that. <laughs> and then the next month I'm like silver or whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to ladder up from silver. That sounds awful. Oh, yeah. No, I frequently like I don't I play a lot of magic online, mm-hmm. very little magic arena. Um, so I frequently like log into my arena and I'm like, oh, I'm bronze. I'm like back down to bronze because I haven't paid in two months yeah and, and then you gotta spend two hours playing against just like nonsense as you <laughs> ladder up two hours i'll and, just hop back on magic online yeah do it, that. it feels pretty bad yeah. so i mean my proposal would be why can't we just have the seasons be tied to set releases like okay you've got they, they've already got the mastery thing mm-hmm. tied to the set releases yeah can't we just make them have the same schedule like yeah then that means that the new season is really a new season mm-hmm. like hey i hit mythic playing the um th- you know the the throne of eldraine theros beyond standard format yeah and then ikoria comes out and it's like okay i'd like to hit mythic playing the ikoria standard format I, that makes a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. and you can make the the tiers a little bit harder to hit or whatever since you're giving people multiple months to hit them but then it's kind of a more meaningful accomplishment and it also just stays in place for longer and doesn't just reset you constantly. So Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some things to change there, I'm sure. Yep. And since I will be home more and playing more magic on digital platforms, I it becomes more important to me that it's implemented in a way that makes sense and isn't like weirdly punishing for arbitrary reasons. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much it for our main topics i think i think so Unless you got anything you want to add in particular um not me i mean you know uh yeah i think i covered most of my thoughts on standard at the moment cool then let's take a look at some of these patreon questions i think we have time to answer you know maybe even more than one all right so we're gonna take a look at two patreon questions this week uh the first one from dmage1 Asking, since you live in a house full of people, what paper or board games besides Magic do y'all play? For example, Risk, Monopoly, Cards Against Humanity. And I did mostly want to answer this question just so that I could get my views about Cards Against Humanity out there. I'm ready. Um, It's weird and, like, the game is a little bit insidious in an unassuming sort of way because you'll go over to your like normie friend's house and they'll be like do you want to play a game and you'll be like yeah i love playing games and they'll, they'll be like guess what i've got cards against humanity and then i'm just like oh no now i have to like explain to my friends why this is bad and it sucks and it's bad in a different way from like risk and monopoly that that dmage also used as examples those are board games that like are not up to the standards of current board games for mm-hmm. like fun and uh, time efficiency and just like learnability and that sort of thing. If you ever play like a recent European style board game, mm-hmm. you will never want to play Monopoly again. Right, right. It's and really bad. It's very bad. But anyways. <laughs> um, and I think most of our listeners are probably the type of people who know that. Right. So Monopoly has one thing going for it, which, which is that it's actually intentionally bad. Mm-hmm. It's designed to it's designed as a critique of capitalism and in particular, like landlordism. Yeah. Uh, whoever gets lucky and gets money or gets good properties at the beginning of the game just wins. 
as long as yeah. each player plays correctly that player just is inevitably going to win and the other players are crushed under the boot heel of capitalism <laughs> and that's the point of that game so it's like kind of a, a like wonderful little art project that people have yeah. misunderstood and th thought is a game to be played for real right so whenever i want to put on like my little monocle and complain about capitalism yeah. which i'm down to do right. from time to time then we can crack out some monopoly bring out the monopoly <laughs> uh, and then it's become like a stunning example of capitalism at work since there's star wars monopoly <laughs> and disney monopoly oh, we still and live in america Simpsons so monopoly. Like, we're not getting away from it right and it's just you know it's it's this wonderful like piece of irony that there's just like a section of the toy store filled with different capitalistic versions of this fundamentally anti-capitalist game and you know maybe that's a subversion of its anti-capitalist message and maybe it's a sad thing but i i prefer to think of it as a piece of rebellion um but obviously parker brothers making just billions of dollars off of it over over a century that like they don't care so right anyways but at with cards against humanity so not only is it a bad game because it's not really a game it's a like exercise in like social understanding in a way just like what will my friends find funny or pick or whatever and that's like fine it's like a bad werewolf in that regard where you have to like figure out your friend's personalities and that's why like apples to apples isn't something that i'm gonna like really compa complain about but cards against humanity is just apples to apples being used as an excuse for white people to say racist things <laughs> And it pains me that I often have to like sit down with my friends and be like, I'm not going to play Cards Against Humanity with you. And here's why. And this is no judgment on you like as a person, because so many people get sort of like pulled into this. Like, it's funny, like we're, we're being offensive, but it's fine. But to be to sit there and be like, it's not it's not my fault. It's the cards. <laughs> but it's a joke that like if you actually made to somebody would like really hurt like you would never make that joke in real life right and then to sit down and be like but it's it's the cards it's not my fault but it's like normalizing this sort of exchange and these sorts of phrases and these sorts of words and this sort of this type of humor um and it's also not real humor uh, it's not actually a joke to pick like you are not a funny person because you like picked out one card out of six to respond to another card like you won the multiple choice test. That's not actually comedy. But the the worst part about it is definitely that like it gives white people an excuse to do racist stuff. And uh, I think that game night will be better if you just sort of like put cards against humanity to the side and, and come up with some other stuff. So that's that's my cards against humanity rant. All right. Well, now the world knows. Yep. Well, at least our listeners know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But for our real Patreon question of the week, <laughs> yeah, that, that hopefully we will Chris. answer in a, a meaningful way. Oh, well, games we play. Um, we start, we play, I mean, these are more between rounds games. Yeah, so, right. Our board gaming definitely more often comes in, not at the house. Mm -hmm. Like, we have a lot of ways of entertaining ourselves at the house. Yeah. We don't typically come together for a lot of games. That's like our cube time, I yeah. feel like, is our, like, family true, together. True, true. Like, come and cube. But, yeah, we've been enjoying, you know, a... An old favorite is, of course, Love Letter. Yeah. Um, and then our newest one is Red 7. Yeah. Those are nice, like, compact yeah, games. That... Quick games that mm -hmm. are tactically involved, mm -hmm. and you can definitely have a lot of strategy in thinking about it. Definitely gets your mind running in that sort of fashion, which is good in a tournament setting. Mm -hmm. um, 
and yeah, just a good way to kill some time. Yeah, and so I would definitely recommend either of those. Yeah. Our other question from Farrakh. Uh, given the fast pace of meta change in every format, the increasing fre frequency of bans, and the demonstration that unbanning cards can have minimal impact on current metas, is there much to be said for unbanning more cards in uh, eternal formats? Annual or biannual all unbanned just to breathe life into formats? What cards do you think should slash could be unbanned? So this is a many-headed question here. Yeah, a lot of things going on here. So we do live right now in this era of frequently changing metagames. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very intentional. I think that that is one of the ways where in order to stay as invested in this game as we are, you need to keep things fresh. Yeah. And I think that Wizards knows that and they're putting things into place in order to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. It's why Holiday Cube isn't live on Magic Online 24, like, like every day of the year. Yeah. It's because I've been playing a lot of cube lately <laughs> and it will get stale eventually sure just because eventually you've drafted all of the archetypes and you know what the pick order is and then it's, you know whatever but it is a very good game so you want to they want to keep it sparse and interesting just like jun versus splinter twin modern right which people are very nostalgic for and, and want so badly like yeah that would also get stale if that were the only modern we ever got to play right exactly so kind of like as part of this question is like, you know, how do you feel about introducing unbannings as another method of keeping things fresh? Yeah, I think that that could be fine, like as a method to facilitate what they're going for here. But I don't think it's like, I don't think that this fact that things are changing rapidly is necessarily a problem that unbannings would fix. Mm -hmm. I think it is something that is desirable and needs to continue happening mm -hmm. so i don't think viewing it as like like oh you know things are changing too much maybe we should unban some stuff like that would just be more of the same of changing things up like okay now yeah. we're figuring out that this old thing that we banned forever ago can actually interact well in this new metagame with these new powerful cards it's kind of a, a redundant thing to be doing right if they're also going to be printing cards that are constantly upsetting modern and legacy right. as a format yeah it's just going to be more change mm -hmm. it's not going to be like if the goal is to get these formats into like a slower more stagnant like pacing then you know like unbannings could potentially do that if you unbanned cards that were depressively more powerful, powerful yeah. yeah depressively powerful that's just not something that we want <laughs> yeah right so, we uh, don't we don't right. need treasure crews in modern right. to make the blue re react like mid-rangey decks with yeah. delver of secrets or whatever we don't need that to just be the best deck so that we don't have to deal with the new cards right exactly which right. may not be what farrak was implying but like yeah and i'll have to can we go back i yeah. wanted to um make sure i'm answering all of the parts of this question yeah so right if if we're i think that if their goal of like breathing life into the formats like if their goal is to breathe life into the formats i think that like the addition of new cards that are powerful is is a better way of doing that i mean they're they're accomplishing that pretty well like, yeah like look how different modern is now from six months ago look how many iterations it's gone through since the banning of kci a year ago right you know yeah and things are wildly yeah. different for sure cards that i think could or should be unbanned i'm sure there are some but i'm just honestly don't have that kind of nostalgia for old cards that i think a lot of people do 
And that nostalgia is really what drives like the desire for things to be unbanned. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, man, you remember Twin? That was fun. I do remember Sp- Twin. Spoiler. It wasn't it fun. It was not fun. I don't want it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, Everybody just wants to go back to like the Splinter Twin mirrors where there was like this gentleman's agreement that like you board out some twins so that you can play this like interactive game and because like getting two twins stuck in your hand was bad even though maybe like having them all in your deck was actually still fine well i do think it was correct to board them out personally but but, like everybody just and no no hate if you love splinter twin like i get it it was your deck like i've had my deck and gotten a band and it's it sucks but i do feel like a lot of the desire to have splinter twin back is people felt really smart when they were playing splinter twin sure but you were also yeah i also felt really smart when i cast gataxian probe right to see my opponent's hand like one of the reasons you feel so smart is because you won a lot because the deck was really powerful sure right yeah uh and so i i don't think so one of the things that i talked with some people about and i have a different view on this from a lot of people and that's fine we can we can disagree um i don't think that there is intrinsic value to like taking a card off of the band list and putting it back into the format Mm. even if you know that it's not going to disrupt anything and it's going to be totally fine um and in particular like if you have a card that's like this card's not even good anymore why is it on the band list i don't see any particular value in taking it and putting it into the format as opposed to it just like kind of not existing anymore it's not creating anything purely like net positive in and of itself Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't need to see anything from this list of cards just added to the format for some sort of like purity of the ban list or anything like that. Um, I'm fine with them staying there and just being like this, you know, hall of records of yeah. these are the cards that at one point were, were not good. okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I think that if your goal is to like have this game that is continues to be interesting and um that we all are invested in and want to continue playing which i think is the goal for all the designs for magic Mm -hmm. then yeah just kind of like leaving the old cards that were mistakes um behind us and then even if we're in this new era where like maybe we can speculate that one of those old cards would be fine and there would be some marginal nostalgia positive nostalgia value to bringing them back i think that it's just not worth that as much as putting more effort into designing the new sets and moving forward in magic Mm -hmm. um and i think it does provide a good history lesson about how you know we're living in a magic era where things are changing frequently and I advise you not to get too attached to yeah. your favorite strategy. I mean, that's true. <laughs> I And that sucks because a lot of what magic is, is owning cards mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Like that's what people enjoy out of magic is it, there, it is a collectible and, and, you know, that's really awesome for a lot of people. And I don't want to take that away from anybody, but, mm-hmm. but I'm more coming at this from the angle of like a, like I want a good game to exist. Yeah. And and that is going to be contrary in some aspects to the collectible aspect of things. So it's tough to balance both things. 
but I think that inevitably we're just going to be moving into a online era. I think these, you know, COVID-19 is accelerating that to a massive degree, but I think it is symptomatic of what where we might be in 10, 20 years mm-hmm. is that paper magic is not sustainable for and for whatever reason and now we're in this time period where everybody's looking to play magic tournaments online and mm-hmm. personally i'm going to invest my time into figuring out what that future looks like and not investing my time into what the future of paper magic looks like yeah i mean it is encouraging that hopefully people do still want to keep playing magic like people yeah. are looking for magic tournaments to play in and mm-hmm. we're trying to provide those and Channel Fireball is providing those, and Pascal is providing those, and, yeah. and uh, hopefully, it ends up being a, a good ecosystem. Because um, I do want to keep playing Magic for a long time, mm-hmm. and we may just have to sort of change with the game. You gotta adapt to the new times. Yep, definitely. You know, I remember I have vivid memories of my father talking to me i was like probably seven and we were talking about computers because he's a computer science guy he's always been into it and he's like collins when you're a little older you're gonna have a computer in your pocket (laughs) and you're just gonna be able to carry it around with you and that's just the world that we live in now and and i still remember we were in like an office depot or something and he told me that and that blew my mind (laughs) but look at this (laughs) collins is holding up his phone for those of you listening to the podcast and not in chat (laughs) look at this it's a computer it's in my pocket it is massive more processing power than any computer that existed at the time yep um you gotta move up and onwards definitely yep so we are trying to embrace the future and hopefully we will see you there come join our tournaments um we'll be tweeting about them uh we will be streaming them on the same channel that we are streaming this podcast on Mm -hmm. so um if you want to watch the podcast live we always stream at 7 30 eastern time on twitch.tv slash team lotus box now we have switched channels we're trying to kind of do all the general content that is not uh, just people streaming their games. Um, anyone who streams on their own uh, channel, but sort of shows that we do are all going to be on the, Lotus, the Team Lotus Box Twitch channel. So that's what we've switched to. Um, if you want to find us online, you can find us at mtggrindcast.com. If you'd like to lend us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Um, we're on social media. You can find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. The podcast is at MTG underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Malone. Um, thanks so much for listening. Keep an eye out for the tournament this weekend. We'd love to see you there. I will tweet about it. And uh, have a great week. Peace.